And the name of the game is organizational innovation. Everyone has to innovate. We have to figure out how to disrupt the entire system and move forward, adapt, evolve, um, Medicare fee-for-service. Everybody knows it's a, it's a brutal market to be in. And, and, and fortunately for us, we have the data to back it and we have the team to, to support it and we have the providers. How do we get patients to providers? We have the technology, we have the scheduling, we have the data. So now let's just put the two together. This is the Disrupted Podcast with Scott Middleton. Each week, Scott shares how he uses the leadership principle of disruption to keep his companies growing and moving in the right direction. Let's get started. Welcome to the Disrupted Podcast. My name is Jamie Preston. And once again, we have the Chief Disruption Officer, Scott Middleton. And we also have the COO of South Carolina House Calls, Will Stillinger. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jamie. It's good to be here. Yeah, I invited Will today because Will is, while he's a chief operational officer, it's really a different kind of company. Um, he's kind of the analytics and data person. And 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 why that's so important in a COO is really that's what a chief operational officer ought to be doing is taking and analyzing the data of your organization and then using that to teach people and manage people. Uh, to be more effective. And so I think we've always thought about that chief operational officer position as all these people report up to them and they sit in a desk and they listen to everybody's problems, you know, and they coordinate people to get together. But Will Spence, I would say probably 60 per, well, probably 80 percent of his time just looking at data that's coming along, not listening and talking to people as much as pulling the data and then shooting that data out to the people who report to him so that they can make better decisions um, in our organization and company. And um, never has there been a better time than to in healthcare than to have to analyze data um, and really look at um, value for what the government pays mostly or businesses pay for healthcare to make sure that we're really getting value um, out of our providers. Yeah. And, and those, that data, uh, those, all those things from the government have to be interpreted too. It, it's not that simple. <laughs> and, and that's one of the things that, uh, that, that it's so loose when we look at like a coding aspect is it's so subjective and we could have 10 people on a call and then 50% of the call will interpret it one way and 50% of the call interprets it another way. So really looking at the, the new final rule that just came out and, and how are we going to interpret it and how are we going to move forward? Yeah, absolutely. Now this, this podcast is all about disruption. Tell us about the disruption that came at the first of the year with Medicare and how billing works and, and what Medicare was looking for. Yeah. So, um, what we, of course, we didn't know anything until December 27th um, for, for billing that would start occurring January 1st. That's how much notice the government gives you. Now, they've given you opinions all through the year about where they were headed. But again, the government's really looking at value and and they want to they want to see that the providers are providing something that's valuable to people. So for them, the government as an insurance agency is looking for what it cost them. So they're looking at the cost per patient or per insured life. Um, and they're also looking at outcomes 
um, in terms of how did those outcomes have an impact out there. So they they understand that people, some people are going to be very expensive healthcare, health issue and have health issues and that they're going to have to pay that out. But they just want to make sure they get the biggest bang for their buck. Um, you know, for that. And so uh, they, they started pushing and every year they're helping to look at something different and they're using the data too, but they have much more data than what we have. Mm. So for example, what we've learned over the time was that the more often we see a patient, especially one that has chronic illnesses, that I'm not talking about a healthy person, but the more, the more chronic um, the issues are, the more often we see that patient, the more likely we are to keep them out of a hospital, the more likely we are to reduce their medications. It actually saves money and it brings better health care. So I think well, that's exactly what the government discovered, and especially during the, the COVID pandemic of, 2000, uh, to, of 2020, that really showed that the government got better value from telemedicine than they did everything. So mm-hmm. on January 1st, um, Will can probably kind of fill you in on the guidelines, but they just changed how much they were going to pay for different codes so that they force providers to relook at what they're doing and how they're doing it. So before where we could send a provider out to a house and they could spend two and a half, three hours with a patient, analyze everything, get everything all set up. The government just cut those rates by what, about 30%. So, so, you know, all of a sudden they're saying, eh, we're not sure that that's really what we want to pay for, but they raised the rates for telemedicine by 30%, you wow. know? So, yeah. And, and, so, and so what's interesting when you look at it is it's telemedicine opens access to healthcare. It's, it's not so much that Medicare is looking at and going, okay, if we just increase clinic codes and that's going to encourage providers to open their schedules up for clinics. What Medicare looked at and said, how, there's so many of our patients that can't even get to a doctor. So how do we open access and reduce those hospitalizations? How do we open access and decrease the cost of the covered life? Um, so I think that's where they, they really went back. And I don't think they had a tremendous amount of telemedicine data to rely on. They just said this is the easiest way. Everyone has a cell phone, a tablet, or access to a computer. Um, so we looked at it is, is if, if they encourage the physician with, with a couple of dollars, and that physician is going to look at his staff and go, guys, we got to jump on this. we got to get ahead of this. We have to disrupt our practice to get access to our patients that haven't been in here um, in some time. What was also interesting is that they reduced the hospital, the rates they pay doctors inside a hospital by 30 percent as well. So they really are discouraging physicians from wanting to work in the hospital because they're not going to make as much money. So that's that for them, I think, was let's force as many of our providers to get out of the hospitals, to get out of specialty practices. They they really cut the rates of specialty practices and they were they're enhancing that. Um, that that rate for office visits for telemedicine visits, but reducing it there. So um, I, I think that's going to change a whole scope when hospitals can't find um, physicians willing to work or they have to pay more uh, out of their own pocket somewhere else that they're billing. Um, that's going to discourage them from wanting to keep people in a hospital very long. They're going to want to get them out as fast as possible, and 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 it, which is going to be another government saving uh, factor out there. Yeah. When you also when you, when you increase access to a primary care provider or a specialist, you 
that patient is less likely to use the hospital as an emergency or as an urgent care or as a primary care. So then you open up the hospitals for people who actually need to be there. So the hospital can act as a hospital and they're not treating blood pressure or treating cholesterol problems. They're treating, you know, your people who are, who have serious illnesses that need access to all the specialty machines and the treatments and stuff that they can do inside the four walls of a hospital. But what the hospitals have to realize is that healthcare can exist outside of those four walls. We can do the same thing in a home that you can do in a primary care office. You can do 85 to 90% over the phone, what you can do in person. Right. So hospitals need to be hospitals and allow primary care to be primary care and realize that it can exist, it can exist outside of a building or outside of a brick and mortar. So for any of our providers out there that work for SC House Calls that are going to be listening today, um, here's some things that we discovered as well. So um, the, they also increased the the amount that they're going to now pay for a, a lower complexity or a shorter visit. So whereas, um, and, and we'll maybe be able to give you some of those numbers. So it used to be like for a visit that was like less than 10 minutes, um, they would pay you $30. $30. Now they're paying 50. So, I mean, that's like a 60% increase, you know, in, in that rate. So what they're, um, so, but then if you take a look at one that used to be what a, but you know, an hour and a half, because we had hour and a half meetings with some of our patients. So, um, so those would have been reimbursed at a couple, 150 and now they're reimbursed at. So they're being reimbursed now at 150. They, the, they, they would have been reimbursed around I don't know, the, the, the 170 mark. So they're, so they're cutting that. So when you look at the, 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 how, how can a provider be most efficient, right? So the, having these 180 minute long or three hour long conversations and billing $300 isn't effective anymore. You could have four 11 minute phone calls and bill almost $320 an hour where an hour visit prior to this new fee schedule was only $145. So you can trip, you can double the income that you bring in and the billing you bring in by touching your patients more often and not trying to address all of their problems in one visit, which may overwhelm the patient. Which is what the government figured out. Maybe we're trying to do too much at one time. And so instead of just going to the doctor and spending a whole long time there and going through every single thing, let's just break it up. So that's what our providers are going to have to start doing. They're going to have to look at shorter visits, which means that um, I may have somebody come into an office and I may spend that first visit with them. I may spend 45 minutes or an hour, but then I'm going to probably get back on the phone with them in two days or three days and go into start to address various specific issues. Like I may say, hey, today we're going to address your diabetes and, and in two days we're going to address your other. It used to be that if I address three things going on with you, I'd make more money. And now really, if, if I just address one, I'm, I, I make more, but I see you more often. So I see you more times. Um, you know, the question is, I think we're still going to build the same uh, or maybe even build a little bit higher by doing that, but you're still going to build the patient's cost is going to end up running about the same if you do it right. But what they're anticipating is that more touches reduces those prices things where they're before and intervening in a proactive way than a reactive way. Mm. So as 
example in our assisted livings where we used to, they, they cut the assisted living and nursing home rates too for providers. So they don't want you, but they increase the, the, um, that, uh, non, that, that, uh, telemedicine visit though. So what we're going to do now, instead of being in a building like two to three days a week in an assisted living or nursing home, we may physically only be there one day a week, but we will be there seven days a week yeah. through telemedicine. Yeah. And that's one of the things where we've looked at kind of evolving our practice and getting to the next level is, is looking at is a hybrid healthcare model. While in-person visits are warranted and we need to have those, operating some sort of or having an access point uh, to another provider for that patient is just as crucial as seeing them in their home. Um, when you look at it, I did a study for my master's program, and for every one telemedicine visit performed, we reduce the chance of a hospitalization by 2.18%. Right. In our patient population, that's huge. And so how, by, much, how much would a hospitalization cost a patient if they did go to the hospital? I think last year, Medicare had it around $16,000 per hospitalization per Medicare covered life. So that's a big savings. And then for us to do a telemed visit to keep that person out of the hospital, Medicare is going to pay us $45. Right. So, so in essence of, of savings to the, the payer system, I mean, telemedicine is going to be the way of the future because the first thing that patient's going to do is call their primary care, which is us, 1-800-491-0909. They're going to call that number. Hey, I feel like I need to go to the hospital. Well, hold on. Let's talk through this. An 11-minute conversation can save the government $15,550. Right. I mean, that's insane to think about. Completely. So, so for the, our providers out there, here's what we have to help you look at. Because also there was all these little ancillary codes that we used to bill. For example, we could bill a non-face-to-face, which means that it, that that our provider had to spend, and now this isn't complexity, but had to spend 31 minutes reviewing records um, on that patient, maybe making some analyzing and some data, which we which really been helpful. We really pushed a lot of what we call non-face-to-faces because the more information you have about the patient, the better decision you're going to make. Well, they just cut that reimbursement rate by 30%. Um, and remember, you had to do the 31 minutes. So sometimes we'd have a provider and they'd go through, well, there's maybe 15, 20 minutes worth of stuff to look at, but maybe not 30. They didn't get paid anything. So now what we're telling our providers then is that you need to do this as, as a telemedicine or an audio visit with that patient. So we're going to go over your records. We're going to have to get you on the phone, which actually is better again for the patient. So I'm reviewing those records. I may have to say, hey, Scott, stop talking so much and let me read this, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so we're going to have to retrain and retool them a little bit. Uh, to make that happen, but they will be able to do more. So they they may be able to go through four charts an hour where they can bill $320 for those visits, whereas before, well, or even now, if they did the non-face-to-faces, they're only going to bill like 180 an hour. Mm. So it really goes back to how much can they bill within an hour's of, of, of time. And so they're going to, but it also allowed them to touch four lives rather than just two lives or and get paid half the amount so it all comes down to opportunity cost when, when we met with our scheduling team yesterday it all comes down it's a game of numbers so 
when we look at providers that, that have these extensive 150 minutes, 180 minute visits, it's what what other patients could we have seen and what could we have prevented if we would not have spent three hours trying to address someone's entire life and every problem going on with them? We need more more touches on a patient. We don't need long visits. We don't need these complicated schedules. Four patients per hour telemedicine, or you can do one patient every 45 minutes um, with, with, with the video option. So it's, it's, it's all about opportunity costs at this point. And, and what can we prevent from happening by seeing patients more often or seeing more patients in a day? And, 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 and Yeah, like we, we've had some patients that, and, and these were extremes, but we went out to see a patient that just got out of the hospital and our provider may have stayed there, I don't know, three hours. And that would have, we would have billed Medicare, you know, $700 for that visit. But at the same time, in that same period of those three hours, um, we could have actually gone back and that provider could have seen four people an hour. So they could have seen 12 people versus the one. So in all likelihood, what Medicare's betting on is that if I saw 12 people instead of one, I may have kept four people out of the hospital, which just saved me, you know, uh, $60,000, you know, mm -hmm. or saved the Medicare $60,000. But I may take that one person, though, that I did three hours with, and I may see them three times this week or four times this week. Or, I mean, my go goodness, like in hospitals, you get seen by the doctor every day. Now, they don't spend a lot of time with you. They come and go. But maybe that's what we have to move to as well, so that we may see this patient every single day for the next seven days if they're that bad off. And then we get a good feel of what's going on with that patient and then move on with their, their plan of correct care. And, and, and we've built a team of, I'll call them specialists, um, that can assist the provider that is assuming the majority of the responsibility for our patients. So it's not relying all on one nurse practitioner. I mean, we have a psych, a Jerry psych NP now. We have pharmacists. We have physicians. We're looking at building a cardio program, a neuro program. So how can we get our nurse practitioners to utilize our specialty teams as opposed to assuming all the weight on themselves? Yeah. We're building the team to help the patient and to help the providers because if we're relying on one pay, one provider to have that one one on one relationship with the patient, then that's not going to produce the best outcome. We need our patients seeing more providers across the board as opposed to just seeing one provider. Because if I look at something every day, I may not notice a change, but if we have three or four people touching that one patient, someone's going to pick up on a change faster than than that one on one relationship, which most primary care physicians operate in right now. Absolutely. So once as, again, it goes back to, oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Go finish. I was going to say, once again, it goes back to just opening that access up to, to specialty and primary care for all the patients. Uh, so, so going back to our patient, to our uh, providers again, um, the non-face-to-faces, like this month, we've probably done three or 4,000 out of our 30,000 visits. We'll do 10% of those. We'll have a non-face-to-face -face attached to them. We need to stop that today. No more non-face-to-faces, uh, except in some extreme cases with new patients where you may be able to do it or in the home. But for the most part, that non-face-to-face -face needs to be turned into a audio-only visit. Um, where you're looking at that data and you're talking to that patient. So we're going to be going through our providers this week and saying, hey, 
you you're not you don't need to do this anymore because one that's not what the government is paying you to do you're going to get a higher reimbursement if you do a different way um the the advanced care planning where we used to get paid for having that end of life conversation with the patient but you had to pay they they cut that rate 30 percent so what the government told us is that that 16 minutes that you're spending with the patient wasn't did not bring us the value that we used to think it did. And so now you can take those same 16 minutes and you can build a higher code by seeing a patient. It's not that we don't want to have the conversations with people about end of life. We may do that within the context of the visit and then not have that extra tacked on. So we're gonna, now we're being basically told through this fee structure to not do as many official advanced care plans. Anything else, Will, that we just look at that maybe we don't have to do anymore, don't wanna do? And, and when we when we approach like the new patient perspective, I mean, having, like Scott mentioned, have, reviewing those records so we paint a great picture of this patient upon them entering our practice or becoming our patient. But once they're an established patient, we don't have a reason anymore to go out and build five, six E&M codes on one patient. Like we've talked about this entire podcast is the quicker touches to address a problem to help that patient um, and, and utilize our whole team of specialists as opposed to the provider trying to do everything in a visit. You overwhelm yourself. You overwhelm the patient. You miss some documentation. You're rushing from patient to patient. You can't remember what you talked about with the patient this morning. So then you start kind of, you know, mishapping on some um, some documentation. So let's get these quicker visits and let's not focus on how much can I bill at this one time with this one patient. Let's focus on spreading that billing out over multiple patients and really attacking a larger population of patients. Well, it also changes up a little bit of the, the documentation. So we had one of our practitioners this morning who, was, who, who made the comment, well, like I saw a patient yesterday, it was a follow-up, from a yeast infection that this woman had. And so uh, it was pretty much, hey, how's it going? And oh my gosh, it's getting really better. And she was going, okay, so I can't really bill for that. Well, yeah, you can. <laughs> I mean, that's what the government is saying too, is that, because what if it hadn't been better? Would mm. that woman have actually called us? In all likely not. So what if she had started the medication and it really wasn't making much difference and stuff that we needed to change it up? So um, there was probably 10,000 questions she could have asked her about other things and what was going on. But by, by doing that follow-up, we're keeping it from getting worse. Because what if that woman had really not seen any change in her infection, and then all of a sudden it's going into the weekend, and she's then at urgent care or the emergency room on Saturday? So that those, those continued calls and follow-up on, on all the issues is going to be really important. And that's what, um, that's what Medicare is saying now. We're going to pay you for that short, one-time, I'm just addressing this one issue, and we're going to pay you at a higher rate. Yeah. And I think too, an advantage that you guys have as well is even though you are doing those shorter visits, a typical clinic is Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday, not open on the weekends. You guys are open 24 seven and you have a call center. That's you know anybody can call in the middle of the night if they need to as well. Exactly. So we actually, one of the call, interesting things too, is we started looking at most of our providers uh, are working 12 hour days. And so we're seeing them on average, they're doing about 12 visits a day. Uh, and these are even with telemedicine. So they're spending an hour with those patients. They're generally spending 20, 30 minutes talking to the patient. They're also then doing this non face-to-face. -face. Well, all of a sudden that 
that structure didn't work financially because we just got cut 30% for those type visits. And so now we're having to change the templates up, go back to the schedulers and say, and here's what's going to happen now. You're going to have to schedule that patient for a 15 minute visit, but you may have to schedule four of those, you know? So we're still scheduling our initial visits with people for about an hour. If it's a brand new patient, um, because that's the only way to get enough information in the chart to make good decisions. But everybody else is going to get that quick 15 minutes. And Mrs. Smith, I got 15 minutes for this call. Let's go go through everything. But if we don't get through everything, we'll we'll see you again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what the government's telling us and what actually we've discovered in our practice is that by doing that, we have better outcomes with patients. Sure. So as an entrepreneur, Scott, What happens, this is a simple question, but what happens when the business gets cut by 30%? (laughs) Yeah, so so the the bad part of it is we just had no forewarning that this was going to happen. I mean, we, you know, Medicare was sharing this data with us all through the time, but we didn't really understand the impact of what these, because they actually, Medicare announced we're getting the 3.5% increase in our fee schedule. Well, we did get in our fee schedule. They just slashed our conversion rate by 100% or 50%. Mm -hmm. So it just tore tore us up. Um, And so one of the things I'd say to Medicare is you've got to have, and to our uh, organizations out there that support us, is that you should be really giving this the providers the information ahead of time rather than just pulling the plug. But that's what we're having to do now as a practice. We're just having to pull the plug. We may actually just eliminate some of these codes from even being available for people to bill. That's the easiest thing is say, that code's gone and delete that. (laughs) So our providers next week are going to go into shock because they've been used to talking to 12 patients a day, and now they're going to be assigned 24 or four at least. 24 to 30 that they're going to have to see our patients have to get adjusted to that too. So I don't care who you are. You're going to learn how to do a visit on the phone. You know, it has to be. Yeah, And, and it's, it's not just changing the patient. It's changing the whole culture of our organization mm-hmm. because to be an innovative practice, you have to focus on culture too. For the longest time, everyone, they go through school. No, you got to touch the patient. You got to see the patient. You got to smell the patient. Well, that's not really the case anymore. Yeah. I mean, there's technology out there now that it allows practices to be mobile and to be distant. And and while our patient population is a little older, we can't just assume that geriatric the geriatric population can't use technology. My grandma's 94 years old, gets on FaceTime and Facebook, her two favorite things. Both of those have a video capability. Great. Her doctor can access her. Right. And then with the, you know, the audio only calls, it's, you're going to be able to touch more people in South Carolina, those rural areas that they just have a phone that don't have capability to video chat. Well, that was what was interesting is that the, the, the codes went up higher for audio only than they did for audio video. So if we go out of our way to figure out how to get the video out there to them, they're paying us less. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that now, so there were a few just dumb things that I think that at landed in in uh, Medicare, and I think it was because they were again normally Medicare has so much data that they are able to use to make these decisions, and this year it was like the pandemic changed it all, 
you know. And so I think you'll see some changes next year as well. They'll come back and say, oh, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't have done that, which also means that we'll have to change our model and our schedule. But Medicare really dictates what your model of healthcare is going to look like. And if you don't play that game, you won't be able to survive because we literally wouldn't be able to pay our providers, um, you know, on on uh, this this particular schedule. But overall, I think it's going to um, it's going to be better for us, um, you know, down the way. But it's just it just kills you in January. All of a sudden you're changing your model. So right. providers, if you're listening uh, next week, will be crazy for you. And the name <laughs> of the game is organizational innovation. Everyone has to innovate. Yes. We have to figure out how to disrupt the entire system and move forward, adapt, evolve, um, Medicare fee-for-service. Everybody knows it's a, it's a brutal market to be in. And, and, and fortunately for us, we have the data to back it, and we have the team to, to support it, and we have the providers. How do we get patients to providers? We have the technology. We have the scheduling. We have the data. So now let's just put the two together. Absolutely. Will Scott, thank you for your leadership and and being quick and nimble on this and 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 not being afraid to make these changes and make these moves and, and it's a it's a great thing and I think you're going to see a lot of people they're going to be helped and we're going to see better care as a part of all this. Yeah, it's just going to be a little painful till we get there. Yeah, but absolutely. We, all right. Yeah. Guys, thanks, Jake. Thank you, Have guys. Thanks for listening to the Disruptive Podcast with Scott Middleton. Follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter at the Disruptive Podcast. You can also help us out by giving us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening.